Hello everybody, this is David Disraeli from Austin, Texas. This is the Disraeli News Podcast, and today we have a special guest with us, um, Avi Nesher, who is in Israel and is a former member of the IDF, or the Israeli Army, and he's going to talk about his experience working with these tunnels, which is what's going on right now. And I will turn it over to you. Avi, why don't you first um, tell our viewers what you did in the Israeli military? Yeah, sure. Thanks, David, for having me on. Um, So in the military, I was part of a um, special forces combat unit in the Nachal Brigade, the Constance Brigade. Um, Our job was to do a variety of missions. some of which include uh, tunnel warfare. And uh, just here to kind of share my experience uh, throughout the military um, from an Israeli perspective, what's going on right now in Gaza and in Israel. Um, Yeah. So when you say special operations um, in, in, in the US, we have the Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, uh, the Green Beret, um, what, what does it mean in Israel? Because special forces is like a broad term. So how does it work in Israel? Um, so in Israel, you have basically the regular brigades, infantry, and then you have one above, which is like the reconnaissance brigade, which is I was part of. And you have the commando units and the other special units uh, kind of basketed together with different kind of skill sets, depending on the mission. And what was your job exactly, most of the time? So I, I was a combat medic, so I was in charge of a lot of the, the medicine, the operational medicine, um, working with the different uh, military paramedics and doctors when going out on missions. Uh, we were um, kind of a, one lag behind the unit, and we would go in whenever anyone would get injured uh, or need any medical assistance or evacuation. And as a medic, you'd also go on operations, on uh, arrest operations in the West Bank and around Israel. Uh, whenever we have intelligence and need to do, do an arrest, they would basically send these special units into these dangerous areas, uh, these refugee camps, and uh, extract people from there. Gotcha. We talked a little bit about, uh, before the show started, uh, your experience in the tunnels, both from a training perspective, like these mock tunnels. And then um, you said that you had been in some of the tunnels underneath Gaza or the West Bank. I don't know which. Tell us about that. Tell us what it's like. Right. So um, most of the IDF has some sort of training in under underground warfare in the tunnels. Um, special Forces units have more training and uh, Basically, we have uh, mock tunnels that we can train in that are similar to what the like one-to-one replicas of what they Hamas and Hezbollah have built in the north and in Gaza. And basically, you just train different Israeli techniques, what they teach, um, how to clear them out and um, and make them safe and destroy them, basically. Uh, make them safe that there aren't any terrorists or any civilians uh, stuck inside these tunnels. So has Israel sent commandos into these tunnels before? 
Um, so Israel has, um, we have different kinds of technologies to be able to clear the tunnels and, uh, and we have different, we have a special forces unit in Israel that their whole um, kind of operational capabilities is focused on the underground warfare and the tunnels, the detection and the clearing of them and the destruction. Um, so yeah, Israel goes in when needed. It's a, it's pretty dangerous, but if we have intelligence that there's uh, hostages being kept in Gaza in these tunnels, then uh, that's something that we would we will do from time to time. Okay. So have you personally been inside these tunnels? Um, so I haven't operationally been in tunnels. I've seen what they look like, what they've been built like. Um, Israel's exposed multiple tunnels built from. Gaza and from Hezbollah in the north um, to the mass media as well. Um, but personally, I haven't, on an operational basis, had to fight in tunnels yet. So, okay. Tell us what it would be like um, when they exposed one of the, uh, the entry points and some of them are hidden, you know, better than others, I'm assuming, and then there's the belief that um, both of the major hospitals there are entry points, uh, kind of like a basement where they can go down mm -hmm. into the tunnels and they're very elaborate from the, uh, the pictures that I've seen or the, uh, they're not actual pictures, but they're like a rendering. Uh, I think the IDF put out, but walk us through that. So you receive information about the uh, existence of either fighters or, in this case, hostages and fighters. And let's say that mm -hmm. they, they believe that the hospital is the safest place to go, so they hit them underneath the hospital along with weapons and other things. Um, so they would go into the hospital and take us from there. Take us through what would happen once the commandos enter the... <clears throat> The hospital and find the entry to the actual tunnel itself and let's assume right. also that it's intentionally pitch black right so um so all of gaza is basically just an underground maze of tunnels connecting to each other in different ways um the the hamas likes to use uh tunnels mainly in hospitals and schools because they know that the idf won't uh, airstrike those areas and it's very difficult because um, all the Hamas hide in all these tunnels underneath because they know that if they become a, above ground then they'll be just um, eliminated and that's what the IDF is trying to do basically with this ground invasion is get put pressure on Hamas try and get Hamas out of these tunnels um, and start clearing out the areas and forcing them to come out so they can fight them on the ground because it's very difficult to fight inside tunnels. But um, on the case where there is a tunnel, it would be secured, first of all, and then it would be scanned for any kinds of, um, you know, explosive devices or anything like that. And then we have different robots and different capabilities to be able to go in and scan the tunnels without putting people at risk. Um, and all the units basically have night vision. So they will, once they've scanned and make sure it's clear, uh, make sure there's no explosive charges, they will go in with their uh, ballistic shield and kind of start clearing these tunnels um, and scanning for hostages and all that kind of stuff. And then we have different capabilities for 
um, explosions and different different types of stuff for sealing off and destroying these tunnels afterwards so that they can't be used further by Hamas because they're all connected to each other. So we don't want one tunnel being connected so they can move from place to place. I've heard that there's um, miles and miles and miles uh, of tunnels, something like 30 miles. I don't guess uh, that's not good English. I don't think that there's a way to actually measure it. Uh, but I'm struggling with trying to visualize them knowing that a, enough of a swath, for lack of a better word, has clear of human beings, and now it's time to blow it up. Um, that could be uh, like the size of a football field if the explosives were, because there's multiple layers, and some of them are really far down. Right. Is that right? Right. And some yeah. of them aren't right. so far down. Some of them are stacked. Um, yeah. So how would they know how um, powerful how the explosion is going to be so that if there's you know, hostages or people that could potentially be captured, because they're valuable, right? They have intelligence if mm-hmm. they're captured um, somewhere else, and the whole thing's not just going to collapse. That's what you know comes to mind when I think about trying to bomb a, a, like a subway, really. Um, mm-hmm. It's an underground tunnel. So uh, how does that work? So we have special technology that can detect how far and how deep and the width and everything of the actual tunnel um, and how far it goes. And then we have um, special forces teams that have been trained specifically on the explosive kind of section of destroying these missiles and they're explosive experts. Um, And then it's just gone by section to section, you know, blowing up, clearing a whole tunnel, you know, and then blowing up that section and then moving on until you can try and get all the different tunnels. But again, this is a challenge that Israel has never really faced before. Um, Underground tunnel warfare is something that's fairly new. And um, at this mass scale, of kind of underground tunnels Israel hasn't faced before. So this is something that they're going to have to kind of incorporate and learn as they go. Um, yeah. I'm glad they're doing it and I'm not. Um, <laughs> so we've got a couple of comments I want to turn into questions. Um, first, though, there's a lot of um, footage and news reporting about the humanitarian crisis, especially the explosion yesterday at a refugee camp where they've already warned people um, via text message, phone calls, leaflets uh, to leave the area, and they chose not to. Um, But just from your experience um, Mm -hmm. in the past, um, explain how you conduct a warfare being mindful of um, civilians and children. Right. Because right. it looks so, it looks like I, just a brutal, you know. I'm sorry for interrupting you when you know, I just asked a question, but it, it looks you know like they're just carpet bombing, and I believe they know what they're doing. And but you're you're there, and you you were in the in the service, um, and I'm assuming during that time you did see skirmishes or conflict of some sort actual combat right yeah that's correct so how so, does that how, how do you reconcile trying to preserve life 
and yet destroy the enemy when they're sort of you know intertwined right so it's a big challenge um you know the idea of values they teach every soldier one by one they get a handbook in the first day that they go into the military and they're taught like to value human life you know above above anything you know as a medic i'm supposed to treat anyone you know if they're palestinian or if they're israeli and they're jewish i don't discriminate you know if someone's injured i'm going to help them so the idf puts a big big emphasis on human life and being humanitarian i think even more than any other military in the world the idf warns people before they're going to bomb areas they send they drop thousands of leaflets from the sky. They send SMS text messages. Um, they they'll send they'll do a mock explosion on the area that doesn't injure anyone before they explode the actual compound many times. Um, and I don't know any other military that does that. You know, it is sad there is always uh, civilians that are caught in the ceasefire, and that's something that does happen in war. Um, but um, it's just something that. That you have to try and minimize, you know. Um, the IDF, you know, won't fire on someone unless they're sure that there's a threat, you know, to Israel, to our families, to our civilians. And Hamas uses all the Gazans as human shields. And sometimes, you know, with warning them and telling them we're going to blow up there and everything, uh, they still use them as human shields. And they don't want to leave the area and they don't want to listen. So people do get caught in the ceasefire. And, um, yeah, if there's if there's a threat and uh, they're going to shoot rockets or they're going to cause um, civilian casualties, the IDF will do what's what's necessary to defend its people. You know. All right, I'm going to start going through some of the questions. Um, what would you say the average age is of a combat soldier? Uh, obviously, there's officers that are in their 50s and 60s. But I'm talking about the boots on the ground. Right. So the majority of the IDF is people between ages of 18 to 21. Um, you usually drafted at 18 years old and you go through combat training. Uh, standard combat training is eight months long for infantry. And then after that, you'll start basically, you'll be sent to one of the borders, one of the areas, and you'll do security uh, routines and security operations in that area. And if there's a war, you'll be called up as well. And um, all of Israel that has military experience is considered as a reservist. So, like, now with the situation, almost all the Israeli men, most of them, have been called up to go into battle, leaving their families behind. But the, the standard age for uh, active uh, duty is usually 21 to 18 years old. So, absent a war and reservist, what would the size of the military be versus what it is now? Oh, wow. I couldn't give you exact numbers on what the active active duty numbers are. Um, I know with everything now, it's about 400,000, 500,000 troops, something like that. Um, but active duty-wise, I couldn't tell you. I know that active duty soldiers go in first, always, into Gaza and into these areas before reservists because they're better trained and they have more experience and they're better in shape and so on. Right. Um, I've heard reports of naval activity. When I think of Israel, I think of these warplanes that, that get in, get out, and fire missiles. Um, but they do have a naval operation. What is that all about? Right. So we do have a Navy as well. We have one of the best air forces in the world, but uh, we have Navy SEALs of our own, and we have naval ships. Um, and these Hamas recently have been getting 
naval equipment with boats and diving equipment, and they've tried to infiltrate to the area of Ashkelon um, to try and get into the Israeli beaches and kidnap Israeli civilians and um, create uh, terror in Israel. So the IDF Navy works very hard as well to scan any kinds of boats coming in, and there's been, uh, they'll go out on their boats and they'll have to, they'll see divers in the ocean, and they'll have to eliminate those threats while uh, riding on the boats. So um, there's been many instances of that where they've had to throw grenades in the water and fire at uh, divers trying to get into the beaches of Israel. So they're patrolling in ships, boats. Uh, how would you describe the, the? They're not warships, right? You can't maneuver those. Uh, is it more? Is it more like an like a Coast Guard cutter? size ship that can move maneuver all over the place um yeah we have, we have different size we have small like kind of speed boats where a few soldiers will be on there with their machine gun and their personal weapons and grenades and then we have these a little bit bigger ships which they have big mounted weapons on them that they're kind of kept on the border that they can use those to fire and we have bigger ships as well with different kind of missile capabilities uh, for okay. different kind of rockets um Talk about infrared and heat sensing technology uh, to find human beings that are trying to hide. Um, I'm not trying to recreate James Bond here, but um, I know that they, they do have both airplanes and um, other vehicles have the ability to see in the night, not just you know night vision goggles, but uh, heat sensing technology to, I've seen it on, on film. Where you see bodies moving from way up in the air, what? How is? How does all that work? So I can't really go into too much detail about that, um, but there are different technologies that you can um, see people, like literally through walls and bushes and stuff like that, um, and different kinds of scopes that snipers will use and marksmen that you can see from miles and miles away. Um, heat signatures like. Let's say you're going through the desert and you're patrolling and it's pitch black dark and there's rocks everywhere and you use bushes where people could be hiding. So you can just pop one of those up with a marksman and you can see where people are. So it's quite useful. Is that something they have in aircraft as well? Yeah, in, in aircraft it's uh, very, very advanced. Uh, they have night vision capabilities, heat signatures. Um, their helmets are just like, even just their helmet is worth like half a million dollars or so. Um, it's so advanced, uh, all the technologies. I want one. <laughs> um, how do they keep the supply lines of food and everything going while they're in a place like Gaza? Um, obviously, it's got to come from outside uh, mm -hmm. through supply trucks, but those are the least protected um, people and equipment as far as they're not armored, right? Or are they? Mm -hmm. But how do they keep... Mm -hmm all the soldiers fed um would it be it seems like it would be so easy to pick off uh one of those workers that's trying to just bring food and and uh, sub, uh fuel whatever uh you know with the handgun um how do they do that how do so they keep them supplied it's too, right it's not too complicated um we have these things called manakim in the army which is like these kind of ready-made meals, which most of it's like tuna cans and canned food and stuff like that, stuff that doesn't go bad. 
So you'll carry a lot of that weight is food and water that you're carrying with you to sustain you for one, two weeks. And then uh, you will have, whenever you go into an area, you have your bases that are kept farther back with more security. And there's tanks there and there's infantry and there's people secure in the area. And the food will be brought in from Israel to that area. And that'll be like a midway point where soldiers will have to return to, to get their food and then go back. So that's kind of how Israel does it. They have those supply points. Um, and I have to say also the citizens of Israel have really kind of took this mission upon themselves to feed the soldiers. They brought uh, donations uh, for meals and everything to all the different bases. But during active combat, you just carry the, the food that you get from these different supply points that are set up that are secure. Interesting. Well, let's talk about the needs for a minute, and then we will wrap it up. Um, we do have direct contact with charitable organizations on the ground in Israel to distribute things to soldiers and to families that have been displaced whose homes have either been destroyed or um, it's not safe to live. And that, that's extremely stressful, uh, obviously, um, losing your home, uh, dealing with grief. Um, what are some of the needs that exist right now that you're aware of? Is it uh, mainly mm -hmm. soldiers, people that are displaced, or is it sort of a combination of, of everything? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I say like one of the biggest things is also prayer. Prayer is always very important to pray for Israel, pray for the idea of soldiers that they'll all be kept safe. Um, and um, on the more kind of basis of needs, um, a lot of families have been displaced and don't have homes. I think about half a million Israelis um, have been displaced, some of them receiving no support from other people. Um, a lot of people aren't working right now and or have lost their jobs or they're just businesses have totally been shut down. Um, so just really helping those those families that are struggling, the, the citizens that are suffering because even just today, I tried to go get something to eat and the store owner just shut down in the middle of the day because they had like zero customers. You know, he's like, he doesn't even have a reason to open this store. So it, it's sad that people are losing their businesses, losing their homes. All the north has been evacuated in the, the Gaza area. Um, so just helping where, where you see that you can help. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Okay. Well, thanks for that insight. War is never good. Um, there's no there's no winners, for sure. Um, so I appreciate your time and your insight. Um, we may be able to have you on again. Uh, we'll have comments and questions, I'm sure, that'll be uh, posted and emailed. Uh, we couldn't get to everybody today. Uh, I wanted to quickly show our giving link for people that are interested. Um, the name of my organization, Disraeli News, is mine, but I am the treasurer of a charitable 501c3 here in... Um, in Austin and I put together a giving link just for Israel which is on our website if you go to disraelinews.org forward slash give uh, you'll be able to see this gigantic give or donate button I couldn't have made it any bigger uh, no way to miss it and a hundred percent of that money is going to go to uh, Israel and to the soldiers and to the people that need it every nickel. We don't take a, a penny for 
we're all volunteers. Um, you know, I own a business. My my partner owns a business. Um, the CEO or, or president. Um, so if you want to give to Israel, if you want to support the people that live there and the soldiers, that link will take you directly to a PayPal account of our 501c3 and it will immediately be sent to Israel. Uh, Avi, thank you for your time and God bless you.